You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The less your business spends, the more margin you keep. But today, everything costs more. So smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one proven platform, helping you reduce IT costs, maintenance costs, and manual errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move to NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash earnings right now. NetSuite.com slash earnings. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. President Trump says he's sending armed soldiers to the border following a border incident. But will he make do on that threat? We have the latest. Plus, the spotlight turns to Stephen Moore after Herman Cain drops his bid to join President Trump's Federal Reserve Board. Is the pressure mounting now against Stephen Moore, or can he suffice and make it over the finish line? All-star panel today, all of that, plus full trade talk. And 2020, we're now just one day away from when former Vice President Joe Biden expected to make it official and announce that he is, in fact, entering into the 2020 race. Capri Cafaro is an executive in residence at American University. She's former minority leader as a Democrat in the Ohio Senate. And Dr. Christopher Metzler, he is a conservative political strategist. But first, uh, President Trump saying that he plans to send armed soldiers to the southern U.S. border. And, of course, he's blasting Mexico for, quote, unquote, not doing nearly enough to apprehend migrants. Uh, He tweeted out, it all started earlier this morning on Twitter. He said, quote, Mexico soldiers recently pulled guns on our National Guard soldiers, probably as a divisionary tactic for drug smugglers on the border. Better not happen again. We are now sending armed soldiers, all caps, armed soldiers to the border. Mexico is not doing nearly enough in apprehending and returning. I want to start with this, and then I want to talk Mueller, uh, with Capri Cafaro. She's a friend of the program, executive in residence at American University, a Democrat and former minority leader in the Ohio State Senate, and Dr. Christopher Metzler. He is a conservative political uh, strategist and a seasoned conservative political operative. Your first time, yes, Mr. Metzler, <laughs> on the program. Welcome, uh, welcome. Thank you. All right, so is, is President Trump really going to send armed Sir, uh, armed soldiers to the border isn't couldn't that potentially put create a, a disaster and and dramatically escalate the situation well i i do believe that in fact he is going to send um armed soldiers to the border um in terms of a dramatic escalation eh, 
um, you know, Mexico is not doing, as the president correctly said, all that it can do uh, to stop the flow of uh, migrants into this country. So at some point, as the commander in chief, he has to take control. Capri? Um, so I was just double checking these, uh, some of the statistics on this or the laws on this. And if I recalled correctly, and I do, uh, there's something called the Posse Comitatious Act. I can't, can never pronounce it. Uh, that essentially prohibits the use of active duty personnel to execute the laws on uh, domestic soil. So uh, this has been something that's gone back and forth as far as the legality of whether or not President Trump can send troops uh, to the border in order to execute domestic law. Um, so I would surmise um, some of the states might push back, places like California, whereas others um, like Texas may not necessarily try to flex in that way and let him do what he wants. You know, from an economic standpoint, uh, Christopher Metzler, this really does pose some significant economic risk, particularly for commodity traders. If you look at the the train tracks down there, uh, as even trucking and the trading that goes on there on the border, it's billions of dollars daily. So uh, what do you say to businesses who are skeptical, forget about the politics for a second, are skeptical or a bit even uncertain about how this crisis at the border is going to be impacting some of their bottom lines? Well, I think for businesses, look, the businesses are doing uh, business in a danger zone. And so from the standpoint of risk, they have to look at what their risks are. Politics aside, they've got to determine what the risks are. I, I mean, I think that's actually a good point that, uh, you know, the actual um, – transfer of goods over the border mm -hmm. could potentially be at risk. And when you are sort of putting that in the matrix of whether or not you want to do business and actually engage in, uh, you know, multinational trade, you know, you're going to have to um, sort of build that into the issue because, you know, you may actually get your goods confiscated, for example. But that goes back to the issue of, you know, Trump wanted said he wanted to close the border down. Um, and a lot of folks pushed back because they said, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen if he closes the border? And and then um, we're not going to be able to see trade uh, cross cross from uh, Mexico into the United States and vice versa. Well, I think you know, from the standpoint of the uh, closing of the border. I think uh, what he has said is that, in fact, he's going to delay that. He's going to see um, what happens in in over the course of a year, probably less. Um, but I do think, that, you know, businesses look from a risk standpoint. Businesses always have to take risk into consideration. It is part of the equation in doing business. All right, pres uh, and, and moving on because I mean the, the the situation at the border is really going to depend on whether or not President Trump makes good on his word and says that he's going to close portions of the border. Sure. And that, I think, is kind of where we're at at this, at this particular are. point. Uh, and we, we do know that there, you have this divide within the administration uh, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, various factions of the administration with Kevin McAleenan, the acting director of the Department of Homeland Security, versus the more Stephen, more Stephen Miller. Stephen we're going to talk about Stephen Moore coming up. Stephen Miller-esque wings, the more Bannon-esque wing of the administration. So it's going to be interesting to see that tug and uh, tug and and it's not going away. It's not going away. I thought Lester Holt did a great great interview with Kevin McLean the other yeah, night. Yeah, I mean it's not going to go away. And, and and in fact, I think the president's decision is best informed when you have uh, competing points of view 
in the administration. I tend ultimately, to agree with that, except for the fact that it seems we're having less and less um, you know, variety when it comes to um, policy positions within well, the administration. Yeah, and ultimately he is the decider, so he will ultimately make the decision. All right, so did you see this, that the president was asked today about the Mueller investigation and all of the fallout that's been going on and how Democrats are going to respond. Will they or won't they bring up articles of impeachment? There's a divide, by the way, in the Democratic Party. Capri, Mm -hmm. we're going to get your take on that uh, in a second. But here's what President Trump had to say about about the the Mueller investigation and, and, and whatnot. Here he is. It was the most thorough investigation probably in the history of our country. I think I read where they interviewed 500 people. I say it's enough. Get back to infrastructure, get back to cutting taxes, get back to lowering drug prices. That's what, uh, really, that's what we should be doing. Capri, Democratic stra- Democrat, as a Democratic strategist, you hate when I call you that. Because I'm not. Okay. <laughs> uh, but should Democrats turn the page? I think that they have to strike a balance, and I think that what President Trump, uh, you know, said right there, as far as we need to focus on things like infrastructure and reducing, uh, you know, uh, pharmaceutical prices and and things of that nature, is the appropriate pivot. Um, and I think that Democrats, to their peril, could, you know, if they don't also pivot on policy and focus on things like health care, could really hurt them. At the same time, I think that it is appropriate for the House Judiciary Committee to bring in Robert Mueller and have him answer some of the unanswered questions within the, within that Mueller report. Um, for example, why did he um, just basically throw up his hands and not subpoena the president, you know, outside of the fact that he said it would drag the investigation on, you know, that sort of thing. But we can't beat this dead horse. We've got to move okay, on. So next and we week, should not impeach. Next week, wow, okay. So you don't think there should be impeachment? Absolutely not, I, for a number of reasons. Number one, there's not enough there. Um, number two, I think that it plays directly into the hand of President Trump as being targeted, um, and it makes Democrats look like sore losers. We're better off moving on, um, and for those Democrats that are looking to impeachment like Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris, um, who I respect, but I respectfully disagree there, I think they're just trying to um, stand out in some way, shape, or form. But, but I, I mean, when you look at polls and Democratic polling in particular, the base is, is incredibly angry, inc- incredibly mistrusting of the administration. But let me, let me ask you this question. Next week, Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. She's going to the White House. I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that meeting. <laughs> you and me both. I, right? What should her message be to President Trump? Because clearly, and we've seen this throughout the past couple months, where he said, you know, I'm, why, why would I try to, to work with, with someone, a leader of a party, who's only trying to impeach me? Well, I think that, that Speaker Pelosi has been relatively clear on her, you know, take of being very cautious around this. Yeah, but what if what happens if President Trump's in that Oval Office and he says to her, you know, wait a minute, we're not moving forward unless you give, give me a hard no that, that we're not moving forward on impeachment? It's good. I don't I don't think that I mean, I don't necessarily know, but I think that she probably is unlikely to say to cut that deal. And let's not forget, there may be cameras in the room, which could totally take, you know, Ooh, change well, the a good dynamic point. like it was with Chuck and Nancy during well, the well, shutdown. Yeah, I mean, for me, I would love if Democrats decided that they wanted to impeach. I would love that. And the reason (laughs) I would love that is it makes our entry and it makes the president's um, reelection that much easier. Look, the fact that's why I'm against it. (laughs) (laughs) The fact of the matter is, based on um, Mueller's report, look, Mueller made a decision. When he took the job, he knew what the constraints were, but he took the job. 
he took the job. He understand what the special counsel's um, charge was. He took the job anyway. And so no need to – if Democrats want to do that, fine. Coming up, we're welcome gonna, it. Coming up, we're going to hear from Speaker Nancy Pelosi, what she had to say earlier today to reporters on the issue of whether or not to impeach. We'll also dive into the politics of the Fed board. Herman Cain's out. Can Stephen Moore survive? We will let you know. Download the Sound On podcast at Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Panel stays. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. We will do our agenda for the people, lowering health care costs by lowering the cost of prescription drugs, raising paychecks by building the infrastructure of America in a green way and cleaner government. That was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi speaking earlier about questions on whether or not Democrats in the House of Representatives will move to impeach President Trump. It would face an uphill battle, to put it mildly, to convict the president of impeachment in a Republican-controlled Senate. The votes are not there. Uh, anyway, you, you slice and dice the numbers. And even in folks in the Republican Party in the Senate who have been somewhat critical of President Trump, there's only about one or two, and not even they are saying that they would get on board uh, with the issue of impeachment. We're talking about all of that. We were also talking about the president saying that he's going to be sending armed soldiers to the border as a result of the situation going on uh, at the U.S.-Mexico border, the economic impacts of that, uh, all of this through the lens of trade, of course. But I do want to want to close out what we're hearing within the Democratic Party on the issue of impeachment. All-star panel with us, Dr. Christopher Metzler. He is a Republican operative. Wow. What an, what a title! Like, if your title is operative, what does that even mean? Like, I'm oper- Like, what are you operating? <laughs> this is his first time on the program. Well, you know, it's all about uh, shaping message. Uh, it's all about staying on message. Um, and How do you it's do all that about- with a president who tweets whenever he wants? Well, I, you know, the president's the president. All we can do is advise. Um, but from the standpoint of, it's all about making America great again. We love that. <laughs> And Capri Cafaro, who who is not a Democratic strategist, but she has served in elected office. She is a, I don't, I just, I don't like the word pundit, and I, I just feel like that's I'm a, not de- yeah, because that's like a, sure you're like a political animal, a Democratic political animal, and the uh, previous state Senate minority leader. In the now dem- I got to think what my my like spirit animal would be. All right, that's another <laughs> that's show. A tough, that's a tough <laughs> that's one. A I like animals. <laughs> All right, but Democrats, we just heard from Speaker Pelosi Capri uh, about the decision that they're having to make. I, I spoke with about five senior staffers yesterday to Democratic members in Congress. Some folks who are say absolutely move toward impeachment. Others who say no way. But the bottom line is that what once was a conversation that was only whispered about is now out there on the campaign trail. It's now dominating the mainstream press, and it's now dominating political discourse all around this country. And I think that that is one of the reasons why uh, Speaker Pelosi has tried to tamp down this concept of impeachment. But it hasn't worked. Well, but, but here's the thing, because the media keeps talking about it, and there are a select group of – of Democrats in the House that, you know, continue to bang this drum. And then you got the presidential candidates. Okay, right. That are so don't blame this. the media. But 
I mean, but to say that the entire Democratic Party is it's not working and some somehow the Democratic Party, this is what they believe and it's going to be really hard that like two presidential candidates in the United States Senate where impeachment proceedings do not originate from and a few, uh, you know, House members that are squawking does not mean that somehow articles of impeachment are going to be brought. Look, Brad Sherman, uh, a very long-serving Democratic member from California, has brought up this a resolution on impeachment every year since Trump has been in office. It doesn't mean anything. Unfortunately, again, as I said before, it's walking into the Republicans' hands, and the more that the issue of impeachment gets talked about on the campaign trail and places like where I am from, in Ohio and in the Rust Belt, and we're not talking about health care and jobs and, and Social Security a Medicare solvency, the worst off we're going to be. All right. Christopher Metzler, a Republican operative. Did you see this about how the White House is trying to protect themselves from all of the subpoenas that are being issued? They're using this legality to, to rebuff all of the subpoenas, whether it's for the Trump Organization or uh, issues pertaining to how folks got national security clearances. And, and there was a letter that was uh, released publicly today from Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, uh, and this, of course, is in response to House Oversight Chairman Elijah Cummings, uh, because they wanted tax records, and the, the Democrats have been trying to get the president's tax records even virtually since the last campaign. So according to the administration, they don't need to comply with these subpoenas, Christopher Metzler, Republican operative, mm-hmm. because there is, quote, unquote, no legitimate legislative purpose. So this is like a really wonky inside lawyery, legally type mm-hmm. of reasoning <clears throat> to say we don't have to do this because there's no legitimate legislative purpose. Mm-hmm. And they're correct. Okay, but could this not bite Republicans when if the roles are ever reversed? Well, I mean, look, anything can bite the other party. But for me, as an Oxford-trained constitutional lawyer, I got to tell you, they are 100% correct. Okay, so then why, why, what was the legislative pur- purpose to get Hillary Clinton's emails? Well, the legislative purpose to get her emails was relative to Benghazi and a number of other things. And I think that to to the defense of all of this, I actually think that the issue here has to do with there is statutory authority of the House Ways and Means Committee to be able to get basically anything from the IRS. Henceforth, the argument is... You, in order to execute that that role on behalf of the House Ways and Means Committee specifically, you need to have some kind of a legislative purpose, right. of which they do not have. They That's do not the have issue. It. Oh, they I don't like have it. Wow, Capri. Wow. They don't have the legislative purpose. If they have the legislative I mean, purpose. That, that's, I mean, I think that is the wonky correct. like situation. That, we're that in. is 100% correct. All right, coming up, we're going to say what the legislative purpose is, what the Fed purpose is for Stephen Moore. Can he survive? Can Stephen Moore survive? I'm going to ask our panel. Panel stays. Download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Check us out on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Thanks for listening. It's Bloomberg 99.1. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I love that song. Matt Kearney, such a great song. When is he going on tour? I'm Kevin Cirilli, Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio Chief Washington Correspondent. We are talking all things politics and policy, including, of course, the president's tweets earlier today in which he said he was going to be sending armed soldiers to the U.S. Mexico border. The saga continues. And of course, Democrats still grappling on whether or not to bring articles of impeachment against President Trump. This on the eve of a reset in the 2020 presidential race. Former Vice President Joe Biden largely expected to make it official tomorrow to say that he's throwing his name in a very crowded field. How is that going to reshape not just the politics, but the policy? The policy impact zones all across this country, including in Ohio, where our Youngstown, Ohio, where our panelist Capri Cafaro has once represented as a Democrat, serving as the former minority leader in the Ohio State Senate. She is an executive in residence now at American University, always found on Fox News. And Dr. Christopher Metzler, he is a conservative political strategist, having previously worked in several administrations, including advising former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. I want to stick with Fed policy because this week, Herman Cain, remember him? Herman Cain, who I know you are a close friend of, uh, Mr. Metzler. Uh, he withdrew his name from the Fed board race. Why? Well, because, you know, I think, look, as um, Herman said, you know, the fact is he can make more money doing what he's doing now rather than being a member of the Fed board. I mean, look, I'm a cat. I mean, I, I like capitalism as much as anybody. But but I mean, I like public service. I mean, isn't there a calling, a calling that people have, Christopher Metzler, Republican operative, in which you would want to serve, maybe take a breather from making cash? No, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, you he, know. he must have some sort of public service bug, though, because he obviously did run for yeah, president. Yeah. Well, I'm States. giving him a hard time. Yeah, he does. <laughs> I mean, I, I, he does, but this is not the right bug at the right time. He just decided, you know what? Yeah, I've had enough of this. I'm just going to continue making capital. How's Secretary Carson doing? Uh, Secretary Carson's doing very well. All right. Speaking of folks who maybe maybe want to make some capital, uh, Stephen Moore, how does Herman Cain's ousting, I'm going to call it an ousting, how does that impact Stephen Moore's chances at all? Because there's been so many different uh, 
controversies now or, or tricklings that have come out. Do you think Stephen Moore can, can beat uh, – at the Fed board? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. We don't have Republicans who have come out in the Senate and said they're going to vote against uh, Stephen Moore. Uh, we did have that in Herman Cain's case. We don't have that at this point. I think Stephen Moore um, will make it through the confirmation process and will be a member of the Fed. Capri? Um, I, I think that the calculus is, is probably right there. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, Stephen, Stephen Moore is uh, the, one of the founders of the Club for Growth, something that's very popular amongst, uh, you know, many Republicans. And, and as you noted, uh, you know, we're not in a situation where there are, are uh, Republican senators saying that they wouldn't uh, confirm, uh, you know, in this in this case. But I think he is going to, you know, he's saying right now in the press he's being, quote, unquote, Kavanaugh, um, you know, because of some of these things that he has said previously. Obviously, about women not being able to be uh, coaches for sports and I guess some other, you know, uh, issues surrounding his divorce or separation. So, you know, I think he'll be dragged through the mud, but will he ultimately end up on the Fed? Probably sure. He's from the Conservative Club for Growth. If you look at the Senate Banking Committee in particular, I think Senator Romney likes the Club for, for Growth. He's right. a member it's, of the, the Senate mm-hmm. Banking Committee. I think Chairman Crapo is, is seemingly sure. – his rhetoric is moving in, the, it, it moving in the trending positive direction. The thing about Stephen Moore is going to be how is he going to face that confirmation hearing? Exactly. How is Senator Elizabeth Warren, a member of this committee, when she sits – And Sherrod and, Brown. And, and Kamala Harris, right, I believe. Kamala, yeah. How are they go- – they are going to grill him. Well, I, you know, they're going to grill him. I'm sure, um, you know, any nominee goes through what we call murder boards, and I'm sure he would be ready to present his responses. Are they going to grill him? Yes. Is that grilling going to ultimately result in his demise? No. Um, and I think that's where we are. The president's made clear this is who he wants for the position, and I think that's how we're going to move forward. All right, moving forward, we're going to talk 2020. Panel stays Dr. Christopher Metzler, conservative political strategist, previously working under Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, Capri Cafaro, executive in residence at American University and former minority leader as a Democrat in the Ohio Senate. Also a very good baker, but she has yet refused Sorry, to show refused. up any... You're killing Any me. food anytime she comes to visit her Bloomberg friends. You can download the Sound On <laughs> podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Are you enjoying Congressional Recess as much as I am? I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. 2020 officially, finally gets official, officially, sort of, tomorrow. I mean, I feel like we've been talking about the the ramp up to the 2020 presidential race forever. (laughs) But former Vice President Joe Biden no doubt has the largest name recognition in the crowded Democratic field. He is likely going to have... He's likely going to make it official tomorrow when he formally unveils that he's going to be announcing. Did you guys see this? And I'm going to ask our all-star panel, Capri Cafaro, executive in residence at American University and former minority leader in the Ohio Senate. Sorry I, like, sped through your title. Please do. 
KU does well to, as well, so don't no, worry. But I also, <laughs> no, Capri. I always feel bad when I go through the titles because I like, I'm like, Capri, it's Capri. A, blah, it's blah, a blah, mouthful. Blah, blah, blah. It's no, all it's good. fine. It's fine. <laughs> and Dr. Christopher Metzler, conservative political strategist. It's his first time on the program. A friend of Dina Bass. Any friend of Dina Bass is, is a friend of mine. Uh, we're thrilled to have you here. He previously served in the Bush administration under, as a special assistant to his former Secretary of State, Condoleezza Rice. You also advise celebrities? Uh, yeah. Can in, you tell us who? No. You can't? <laughs> in my spare time. In your spare time. <laughs> Ugh, that would be so f- – I wonder if any of those celebrities would ever run for office. Interesting. Moving on, though, in the race that we have ahead, the 2020 Democratic presidential primary field, there's already these back and forth reports. The Washington Examiner reported that the McCains were going to endorse the Bidens, and now Cindy McCain is brushing that off. And all I mean, I I just I get I'm going to be very interested to watch the rollout Mm. of Joe Biden because he is someone who has crafted his political career off of being off the cuff of, <laughs> of, of pretty much like a Trump. It's very Trumpian in many ways. And it sounds like it's this controlled launch, Capri. They've got a video and then he's going to have a rally. It feels very not Joe Biden. It's going to be really interesting to see. I agree with you. I think that part of they, they've already kind of stepped on themselves. And I think they're trying to undo that because they had originally uh, talked about doing the launch in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, where, uh, you know, there was uh, some individuals that died when they had the, the big like white nationalist uh, yeah. uh, demonstrations about two years ago and in, in Trump's first year in office and so they decided that that would be gauche as my grandma would say and so now they're um you know doing this this controlled as you said video which actually is bernie sanders did a video as well so did hillary clinton you know well i actually have some theories on that because i actually think that biden is falling into the same pitfalls as hillary clinton had as well Well, okay so i also think that because we are all political junkies christopher Mm -hmm. uh is it chris or christopher Christopher's Christopher's fine. fine. Okay. Yeah. Christopher, we're all political junkies. I don't think most Americans in either party are going to be like, oh, he released a video. Oh, he, he didn't totally release it. He tweeted nobody the video. Cares. He didn't, nobody cares. No one even remember. I mean, I will say Senator Klobuchar's rollout with the whole like snow, snow thing. thing. That was great. That was kind of, I mean, I laughed. And Senator Klobuchar, I actually think is, is going to go very far in this. But Biden, how does he reshape the dynamic from a Republican perspective? Well, I don't think he does. I mean, from my perspective, listen, there are what now, 20 people, um, including the mayor of Miramar, Florida, um, running for the... I don't think Biden changes the equation at all. I think from a Republican perspective, there are no candidates who can beat President Trump. Okay, but who gives you the most pause? None of them. Uh-huh. Seriously. Okay, from now, now let's put on our business executive hats, okay? How does Biden's entry into the race reset the forecast of the policy debate that business leaders, from a trade perspective, from a business bottom line, does he mark a goalpost in the middle and, and maybe is a magnet back towards center, centerism? Well, I think he's going to try to do that, but I can tell you, as someone who owns a number of businesses – I will never vote for Biden because I think Trump, from a business perspective, is the best candidate available. All right, but from your perspective, Capri, on issues like trade, right. on issues like um, on issues like who's nominated the Fed board, how does how does Biden's entrance 
uh, mark a I think contrast if, to Warren if Sanders. Biden is true to himself and doesn't try to redefine himself and, re, you know, and, and apologize for 40 years of, of uh, you know, being in, in government and actually is who he is from a policy perspective, I think that it does, you know, reset and create a contrast with Elizabeth, the Elizabeth Warrens and Bernie Sanders of the world. I think the question becomes, does he does Joe Biden try to lurch further to the left or is does he recognize that he has access to that quote unquote center lane and that is his only option because the rest of it is too crowded and the center lane doesn't tweet do they no <laughs> why don't centrist tweet. That's a really good question. Okay, this, speaking as someone who I, I call myself a militant moderate. Um, it's a, a militant moderate? Wait, what? I've <laughs> exactly. I've known you for a very long time, and, and for the record world, I have never heard Capri Caparo <laughs> refer to herself as a militant moderate. What does that even mean? Exactly. I'm, scared, I'm scared to know. Well, no, it's, it's – you, know, you, you have, have like to, a mil- – like I don't even want to know, but well, I kind of want to it's, it's just kind of funny because you think moderates are just milk toast and, you know, we're but pragmatic. Not like a loud mouth moderate. You know, but, you know – Militant implies like military no militant it just i just i just see i don't know like Go yeah ahead. we're it's, getting whatever off whatever we're getting off base. <laughs> kevin stay on topic Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but look i do agree that basically moderates and centrists need to be more vocal because it is the very loud fringes that are defining who the parties are right now, and they're eclipsing the reality of you know many moderate members of the House that actually flipped districts from red to blue in this last you know midterm election. And if we don't speak up, but it's hard to speak as a moderate, you know, in nuance in you know in the room that you have on Twitter, it's tough. All right, go ahead. Well, and 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 but. We're focusing a lot on 2020 in the presidential race. I think we also need to look at the House races mm-hmm. in 2020 as well. And Joe Crawley was on he earlier this week on our program, and he lost, of course, to Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And he made the same points that you guys are making, which is, look, he lost to a Democratic Socialist, but most of the Democrats who won – are kind of in that more moderate yeah. suburban lane. Right. Coming up this week, we've got about two minutes left, and I, and I want to put some stuff on our radar for what's ahead. Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, he's going to be at the White House on Friday. Mm-hmm. This comes, of course, as Chinese President Xi Jinping is continuing his Asian tour with the Asia One Road, One Belt, uh, One Road Initiative. Uh, so there's a lot of jockeying going on with Mr. Abe as he's here in the U.S., And Kim Jong-un, did you see this? This is important. I don't think this has gotten a lot of chatter. Kim Jong-un is uh, with Vladimir Putin. And in fact, Kim Jong-un is grappling Mm -hmm. for a way out of his stalemate in nuclear talks with the Trump administration as he meets with Russian President Vladimir Putin for the first time on Thursday. Bottom line, though, on the issue of Kim Jong-un, we'll dive into this tomorrow, is that he has been normalized. Whether or not you agree with the normalization, he is normalized, and that means uh, that He's talking. He is talking to the U.S. Uh, That makes it interesting. I want to thank Christopher Metzler. I also want to thank Capri Cafaro. That's it for me. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You are listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, 
a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.